Welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. I want to thank at the start my Patreon supporters, Rob Sterobin, Robert Prine, Robert Tremarco, and Mary Jane, as well as Case Aiken, for supporting me via Patreon. If you, too, would like to get a shout-out at the start of the episode, you can support me by going to patreon.com slash stormageddon. Um, there are different tiers, different levels, different prices, uh, anywhere from a dollar to three dollars to fifty dollars. Um, really, though, anything you can give is really a huge help to me, and I appreciate you all for listening. Either way, um, this episode is with the incredible Scott Thomas. He is one of the three co-hosts from the Infinity Podcast. He's also an actor and a voice actor and improviser. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades and a really cool guy. We had a blast chatting. So without further ado, on to the episode. such limited time now like I get offended when something's not good I respect that like I, I, I was on a, another podcast as a yeah. guest and we were talking about the oversaturation of media oh and one I'm of just my favorite like, topics it's like I gave up on the Netflix Marvel series like I, I kept up with them for a while yeah. and then it just became overwhelming and now it's like I don't even play my favorite video games anymore because there's so many games out. Yeah. Like I used to play Chrono Trigger every year yes. just because it was my favorite game. Yes. I could probably burn through it in like a week or two if yeah. I'm playing it consistently. And now because I'm so behind on games and I have two different gaming podcasts, so I feel like it's my job to play newer games. Right, exactly. I don't play anything anymore. I let myself play Red Dead for many hours today mm -hmm. and in part because I'm in it and I keep I saw that. I'm going to talk about that. I will, thrill, I will be thrilled to. Uh, but I had that moment of going like I lost four or five hours when I could be watching television and I feel that's my responsibility right? because I auditioned for shows set here in New York. right? And I'm like I really should be watching X-Pilot or going after this script. And even if my body and brain need that, I've lost time. And there's really is... used to be you would watch 12 shows that are shot in New York yeah. and you'd be fine. Now there's like 40. Yeah. Like I went in for FBI last week. I was suddenly glad I'd wasted the time watching FBI, <laughs> which is exactly how I would have phrased it. But suddenly I was like, I'm glad I, yeah. glad I did that because holy shit, there's so much content. Yeah, it's it's really overwhelming. and it's like exhausting. It, it, it's why I think I love the Infinity Pod because you guys just kind of hit a ton of... It's like a scattershot of pop culture yeah. that pulls back to Marvel. And, and which is actually a reason I like Screen Snark too because you guys actually hone in in a way where I'm like, oh, we're cutting through the noise, yeah. which is beautiful. I, I, that I'm very thankful for Rachel on that. I, I guide the conversation, but it, the show wouldn't happen without her. Yeah. So... Uh, but, uh, but enough about that. Our levels look okay. Amazing. Um, you, as an actor, know how to project. <laughs> so we'll get Sometimes started. Sometimes too much. Um, I don't know how much of that preamble I'm going to keep, so I'm just going to introduce you. Great. Um, this is Autographs, of course. I'm here with Scott Thomas. What's up, uh, man? Actor extraordinaire, VO extraordinaire. The first question I really wanted to ask yeah. is, where did you go to to portray crazy store guy in last year's <laughs> Christmas special for Patrick H. Willis? You know, 
It's it's Patrick is such a gift on so many levels, and one of them is that he lets me do anything. <laughs> when I look at the repertoire of characters I've gotten to play through those videos, whether yeah. it's Wolverine or Crazy Store Guy, I'm yeah. like I'm just blessed that those are all things I get to do. And I think I the actual answer is Chloe, my fellow actress yeah. in that in that special. Chloe has this amazing ability to be super super heightened uh-huh. and super super truthful and i practically knew how she was going to play the part when i read it yeah and so my only objective was like how many obstacles can i throw in her way <laughs> and how bonkers can it be because when looking at what was on the page it's like there's nothing this can't hold right plus we were shooting in Gristetti's for an hour <laughs> So, you you go big or go home because literally they're going to kick you out of the store. They're going to throw you out, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, I should just drop to my knees and pump my fists everywhere <laughs> like some extra from Footloose because that's, how could I not? You've played terrible people in several Christmas videos <laughs> at this point. Practically every one of them. So, so obviously you've been an actor for a while. How yeah. did you... So I want, I guess let's start with, to kind of wrap things together, um, you host the Infinity Podcast yes. with Rachel Shank, who is a podcast co-host with me on Screen Snark, and Patrick H. Willems, who is a guest on Screen Snark, yes. and will at some point be a guest on this show with the Brothers Torpy. I've said it on the air, so now you have to do oh, it. Oh, I can't wait to hear no, that No, he episode. wants to do it. They're waiting for the next show with whatever actor they choose. Of course, yeah. To, to promote that, so then the, him and the Brothers Torpy will be on. The Torpies are going to be on my other podcast, On the Rails, which I've got to get you on, yes. and they had wanted to do that for ages, and I got a message from Matt out of the blue, and he said... Jake and I want to do your show, and we want to talk about the Hellraiser movies and fetishes. <laughs> nice. And that's it. And I was Amazing. like, that's peak torpy. I'm so that's, there. That's excellent. Can't wait. But I'm curious how you guys all got connected and how the Infinity Pod came to be. Totally. Actually, it's fitting that I mentioned on the rails. That's how it came to be. But to rewind back on that, my partner, primary partner, Kat, she went to Oberlin, mm-hmm. and she used to do Patrick's videos at Oberlin. Oh, cool. Uh, tons of them. And even someone she moved to the city. And so right when we started dating, she told me, you and Patrick have to meet. I've got to make this happen. And we went to see her Fringe Festival play together. Patrick was there, but it was like ships in the night. Right. And he was always shooting stuff. And he was in Harlem. And we were living in Brooklyn at the time, actually right down on Prospect Park. Oh, cool. So it was never an opportunity. And one day I was on my way home, and she was like, oh, so hey, Patrick and I are hanging out, playing video games. I was like, that's, that's cool, great, I'll, I'll come by, we'll hang. Little did I know she had engineered that as a, <laughs> I know he's coming home at this time, and yeah. Patrick's free, and I'm going to get them in the same space, and they're going to hit it off. And that was five and a half years ago. Oh, wow, cool. And she called it exactly right. And that's how Patrick and I started working together and have been friends and creative colleagues ever since. With Rachel, it's even more roundabout. I'm the co-creative director of The Ride. But before Ah, I was... Yeah, okay. Yeah. That all makes sense. And before I was that, I was a host. And Rachel and I first hosted together during the Masquerade Ride, which has since improved, but then was very, very shakily a way of addressing fall and Halloween Mm. in New York City. And we both had to pretend to be British psychics or professors of ghostology. Okay. And what I quickly found was Rachel was willing to be as weird, as quirky, 
and as off the chain with that prompt as I was. Yes. And we just, anytime I got to host with her on this sideways facing tour bus for tourists who some of them don't even speak English, I knew we would give a good show sheerly based on the energy that was in the room. So flash forward two years, I'm starting this podcast where people play a drinking game they don't know the rules to while they deep dive pop culture. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at my start date after weeks being out of town shooting a movie and then doing a play in North Carolina and Avengers Infinity War was coming out. And so I thought, okay, first episode that Patrick has to be the go-to guest. Right. One of my only rules for the show, though, no episode with all straight white men. I, I want to give other people a, a platform. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Le least I can do. Right. So I'm thinking, okay, who else can I get on um, if, if Patrick and I got that box checked off? And I just thought, Rachel, she yeah. would be perfect. She and Patrick are going to be perfect together. We do the episode. We start rolling so deep because of all the tangents on the episode that we right. suddenly go, I think we have to do a follow-up episode next week. I'm going to bump the guests I had scheduled to week three. Mm -hmm. We do that, and I immediately got comments online, the three of you should have a podcast. And we all looked at each other and went, I think that's a great idea. Suddenly, Infinity Podcast has more listeners and yes. more episodes Is than on the rails. Is that works? It's, I love it, man. It's all the best things that have ever happened in my life are the things I've least expected. And yeah. started with the smallest possible prompts like if they were things for an essay you know you think it'd be 500 words and they're now the 10,000 word events of my life yeah totally and, and I've been so lucky to fall into the infinity pod and the listener base yourself included like we just I'm so grateful for the listeners we have and it's been an unbelievable three to four months podcasting is an odd platform only because so I've been doing it for a long time now. Yeah. I've had shows that have ended. I have other shows that have started recently. Yeah. And like, it's funny. Of all the shows that I do, the one that I took off, that took off the most is the one I do based on the video game series Mass Effect. Right. And that's because, well, A, my co-host uh, MJ is incredible and she's like a Redditor and she goes on, uh, you know, different Tumblr sites and like she's just really in interact with the community. Yeah. But also, it's a specific thing that people can latch on to. Totally. And so I think Infinity Pod is part of that because I guarantee initially people are like, oh, a podcast about Infinity War. Well, I love that comic and I love that movie. Let me go listen. Yeah. And then when it becomes about other things, they're like, oh, there's more to this and then kind of jump on from there. Yeah, it's, it winds up being a Trojan horse delivery system, yeah. not only for other topics, but I think for the people you're spending time with, like this winds up going on to a different subject, but um, I've been having talks with a few people about why musicians seem to be surviving the Me Too movement in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. Where they get called out and they still get to keep making music, R. Kelly being the most obvious right. recent example. It's taken this many years to get to that point. And one reason I think it's harder for people to let go of musicians who have clearly committed a serious wrong is because putting headphones into your ears is such an intimate act mm -hmm. it's an everyday act so we don't really give it that due but i right. think that is such a a gesture of intimacy mm -hmm. and so when you choose to listen to a podcast an artist or whatever you're really granting intimate time to that person yeah which is why i think so often the shows we listen to we gravitate towards that topic we care about and then we stay for the people yeah i'm a big fantasy football player which is so Far from what we talk about Infinity Pod, it's not even funny. But right. I realized my favorite fantasy football podcast, 
uh, shout out to the fantasy footballers, it's because those three guys yeah. are so magnetic and so much fun to spend time with. They're great at their job, but I actually enjoy the hours I spend with them, and I think about it that way. Well, yeah, sure. I think presenters have a big influence. Like, for me, I love the British Top Gear, and when it ended and it became the Grand Tour on Amazon, I still watch, and it's not as good as Top Gear was, but it's still good because I love those three jackasses. Yeah. Like, the three of them are so much fun to watch together Yeah, that... That, like, and I'm not even a car guy. Like, I like cars. <laughs> yeah. But, like, and, like, you know, I'll always have a, lo- a love for the Porsche 911, unlike oh, anybody, because it's just my favorite car. It's such a great car. It is. But, that said, I still love when they talk about cars, because they do it in a way that's entertaining to me. Yeah. I feel like they, they tap into that passion that you had for it when you were a kid. And maybe yeah. maybe people didn't. I, I'm not a car guy myself. But I wonder if I was when I was younger because I knew I was supposed to be. Yeah. Or because Hot Wheels were the thing. Yep. Like, my Porsche 911 is the Plymouth Prowler. Oh, you nice. Oh, God. Yeah, it's a good car. Purple cars, man. Yeah. I wa- I'll know I've made it. <laughs> if when, you have a purple when car. I have a purple car. Nice. It's just deep purple. Um, to, to go back a bit to talking about your yeah. acting. So I joked about you being in Patrick's videos. Yeah. You have been in a bunch of them. But you've also done a ton of TV work and you've done some yeah. VO. So have you always wanted to be an actor? Is that always. a thing you've wanted to do since you were a kid? Yeah. I, I was very lucky to get my start in the Chicago theater scene with a theater called Writer's Theater. That okay. is now, I can't even believe I'm saying this. They're the third biggest theater in Chicago and one of the top ten theaters in the country. Oh, wow. They have a multi-million dollar space now designed by this architect, Jeannie Gang. And I don't know architecture, but apparently she's bigwig. <laughs> when I got started with them, they were a 30 to 40 seat black box in the back of a bookstore. Oh, wow. And the guy who runs the theater, Michael Halberstam, was literally handing out the programs himself. That's how I got started. I was handing out programs for writer's theater. Yeah. I was non-union help, yeah. basically, like unpaid child labor. But he had a children's theater program. I quickly got into it and was very lucky under Michael's guidance to start booking roles as a child actor. I did bunch of stuff in Chicago at a very young age. I was auditioning for stuff like Miracle on 34th Street and Batman Begins and like that sense of play, the um, the way the imagination takes off. That was the first place I ever belonged. Oh, cool. Yeah. Even yeah. in my own body. Yeah, yeah. Really. Totally. One thing I never talk about in, on Infinity Pog is there's never a place for it. I actually have a sensory disorder um, that's loosely called dyspraxia. Have you seen Doctor Who, the new yes, season? of course. That's what, uh, what's-his-name has. Oh, um, Ryan. Ryan. Yes. I, ha- I have what Ryan has. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. First time I've ever seen it in media. That must too. have been really awesome to see it, like, portrayed on TV. Is it accurate, their portrayal it's of it? So, it's so accurate that when they were doing the first scene with the bike in the pilot, I thought, this kid has dyspraxia. Oh, wow. And they hadn't said it yet. And then they said it, and I had to pause and, like, get up and walk around because I was like, yeah. I didn't ever think I was going to see this on, that's on a crazy. show ever. Wow. Um, so really acting was living for me. Mm-hmm. Real life didn't feel as full physically in my own body and self as acting did. Acting was dropping me into a deeper way of existing. And so I glommed onto it. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how you get involved 
with certain projects. Like I, I started in burlesque. I've been DJing in burlesque for six years now, but I started as a guy just stamping people's hands and taking money. So cool. And burlesque is how I met Rachel. Right. Because she had her burlesque perform persona, Charles Stunning, is we met when she was still performing under that, which she still does now. Um, and we'd been wanting to do Screen Snark for years, and just both of us were so busy we couldn't get it into gear. And then earlier last year, we finally did, and I'm so glad we did. Yeah. Because also, I got to meet Patrick through her, and I admittedly, and I told Patrick this, I'd seen, I'd of course seen the uh, the X-Men video. Yeah. Because everyone has seen that. That's the one that went viral. It went viral. Yeah. Um, and so I knew of him from that when I revisited it after I knew he was going to be our guest on Screen Snark. And then, of course, after he was a guest, I dived down the rabbit hole and literally like consumed all of his video essays, all of his movies. He's and so I, good. I was <laughs> just so blown away by the quality of stuff. And then also, most sincerely, like I've never wanted to watch The Fast and the Furious, Paddington, and so many <laughs> other movies more than watching him pitch it, pitch them to his parents. And like I love the videos with his parents. I think they're so great. And his such parents really are that magic too. It, I, I spent two days at their house when we shot the Wolverine video. Oh, yeah. And I don't think he was making those videos yet, uh -huh. but I'd heard from multiple people in his life, whether it was the Torpies or Cat, like, you have got to meet his parents. His parents are unbelievable. And we went to that house where he shoots it, yeah. and there were meals awaiting me already, and I have lived the life of those videos. <laughs> and it should be a Patreon perk, honestly. To go like, have dinner with his parents? I'd pay 500 bucks. Like, I like yeah, straight absolutely. up to Saratoga? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but what's, what's really fascinating about meeting Patrick and then becoming interested in his stuff and developing an internet friendship with him yeah. is that it made me realize that a lot of uh, podcasting and more so New York, at least, art culture is cultivated online for all the bullshit that social media provides. There's a lot of connectivity on Twitter, I feel like. Absolutely. Through, through all these different shows. Um, of course, uh, one of my favorite loudmouths on Twitter, Nate Cassidy. You're yeah. Nat oh. Cassidy, you're friends with. God, a, a, the angel that is Nat Cassidy. <laughs> With whom I have easily as as convoluted a chain of how we first met and became friends. And so, and... do you know the folks at Gideon Productions as well? Not really. Okay. No, they're so... they're my blind spot. In okay. All this. It's just really interesting. Always interesting to me who knows who. And like, it was funny because when I was talking to Nat about coming on, I forgot that you two knew each other, even though Rachel had mentioned. And then when he came on, he mentioned you, and it's like, oh yes, of course. Right. It's so it's so surreal, man. Like yeah. like. I think you you raise a really good point. Like, what the, the community online feels to me now what it must have been like with certain bars in the seventies or eighties. Mm -hmm. uh, it still is a little bit, but I feel like that's shifting away now because we all have internet presences and we need to spend time at yeah. home because the subway is worse and the money situation. <laughs> is just, I guess you you would get stabbed on the subway back then, but yeah. you would technically get where you were going on time. That's true. There, you'd there be was bleeding. That. You'd be but, bleeding, but it'd be on time. But you'd still get there. But but like these are the ways that we hang out with one another. And yeah. I, I feel lucky that I see like tweets you like on my feed or that Nat likes. And in that way, you guys still exist in my everyday. Yeah. And it keeps me connected and sometimes it, it gets you jobs now mm -hmm. which is so strange and yeah. yet awesome and and i'm adjusting as someone who was coming out of school being like you have to hit these audition rooms and this is how you're going to get your work to having gotten a lot of my jobs vis-a-vis -vis my real online presence or being a reader 
Right. And some of my best and, and, and like most high profile work has come from that. And so I think the the game really has shifted. Yeah. And it and it's I it's more fun to play, honestly. I, I love that I felt like I did something for my career today while I was playing Red Dead for three hours. That's a <laughs> that's a very weird and amazing experience for me. It, it is. We should take talk about Red Dead Redemption yeah. too. So <laughs> if anyone listening has listened to my other podcast, they know how I feel about Rockstar. And that's neither here nor there because they hired you and they paid you to be in that game. They and so did. that's all they I They really needed. did. So how did how did that like I know I have a bunch of friends who do VO work, yes. but I don't know a ton of people who personally who've done video game work. I'm of course obsessed with voice actors like Steve Bloom and um, um, oh, uh, I'm gonna blank on her name now, but she's the voice of Commander Shepard. Oh yeah, I actually know who um, you're talking about. Oh, she's great. Um, but and Mark Muir, who's male Shepard, and like all like so I know of voice acting, but I've never met people who have gotten gigs on on video games. So how did that come to pass? It came through my commercial agents. Okay, uh, that is the one thing I've done with my commercial agents, and I'm so so grateful <laughs> for it. No beer ads for me, but video games, yes, and. It was an unlisted project at the time. You got the sense it was something bigger. There were some faces I recognized in right. the waiting room, and I was going, okay, so this isn't just any video game. Right. And the copy was for something completely different. In no way was it anything I wound up doing in the actual video game. And on top of that, it was very opaque and, and, and not specific. And what I have come to realize about all voice acting and motion capture is they're looking for someone who will make quick physical choices and actually help define a character in the moment. Oh, cool. Because whether it's Rockstar or the other video games that I'm working on, all these departments are doing stuff in tandem, right? And so they need actors who are going to commit to what they require, but are also going to say, hey, I think this character does X, or because they move a certain way, the animators are going to go, boom, done. Let's do 30 minutes where we define the physical language of that for a little bit. And so it's kind of a wild process where you have to be able to live in the moment, commit fully, but then be willing to pivot on a moment's notice because it's a video game, right? You're not just doing a narrative A to B structure. Right. You need to allow for anything that character might possibly do. Right. And that's particularly where the VO comes in. I right. think I spent five hours in a booth once recording different levels of aggression or kindness or... Well, right, because you can pretty much kill anybody in Red Dead, right? Yeah. And, and from what I understand, this is this is my understanding, this is not like their official company position, is like anything can happen with any one of these characters. I've already seen it when I've been playing the game. Right. You know, I, I've seen, like, a Lemony Raider be super nice to somebody in a bar and, like, hit on them, like, five minutes after I've gone and raided their camp. So they really want every character to just live right. once they're in the world. It really is like Westworld wow. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so we recorded every single possibility for that character, which was particularly fun because my character is a cannibal. And so recording the lines that are out in the world, should you find him at a bar, yeah. are some of my favorite things I've ever recorded. And I don't even know if they, I feel like they must come up one every millionth in the game. Right. But like that's when I knew these guys were on, on their shit. Yeah. Because the writing was so fucking funny. And it's such a buried lead, but like that this cannibal will go up to a woman and be like, I'd like to put something in any one of your holes. Like, 
I still can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> right, of course. It's so you? dumb. It's yeah. so amazing. It's so perfect. I, I, it, I blew him away. And so, did you do any mocap as well? Yeah. Wow. All the mocap for that character. Is he designed to look like you as well? He, I can see it in the eyes. Okay. I thought he would look like me because I kept the beard for uh-huh. it. So I was like, oh, he's going to be scraggly. He's going to have a beard. And he looks like Ryan Reynolds in X-Men Origins after he's been fucked up (laughs) is basically what he looks like. But with my ears. I'm like, so I see my eyes and my Dumbo ears, but I'm Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool. Or in in, in X-Men Wolverine. Cool. Great. (laughs) Otherwise, it looks nothing like me. And was that the first time you had done video game mocap and voice work? Yes. I've been lucky to do both since, but I really got thrown into the fire and actually, it was very surreal. I, I'm a cancer survivor, and I had just gotten back from treatment. Oh, wow. And that audition came through, and I booked it. And before that, I'd had like an eight-month dry spell where Ugh. I just hadn't acted. I hadn't booked anything. I had nothing. And then like one week after I'm done with treatment, I booked a rock star video game. And I was like, okay, what's up, cancer? Like, I was just, I was just, I was just like, best thing that ever happened to me. Right? We actually, Puts things in perspective it, it, a little bit. It really kind of, it cuts through the bullshit, man. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have, to have um, survived and, and, and um, to have the life I have now. But also, like, the bullshit that it cut through. Yeah. I realized how many things were in my way. Yeah. And what's crazy is how many new ones I've accrued since. I'm like, I'm like, cool. So I had like a year of clarity and now I get back to being a human. I mean, that's kind of solid. life on this planet and especially right. in this country is you kind of can't cut through the bullshit at oh, this yeah. point. It's just everywhere. It's just everywhere. Well, that was great, right? I had like six months where I was cancer free and like working all the time and then the election happened. I was like, cool, bullshit is back on. We got this. <laughs> November 2016. <laughs> Doing it again. <laughs> um, so, uh, I guess my next question, is there anything you can't do since you can act and you oh, can do man. video? Yeah, uh, I can't ride a bike, which, which kind of came up earlier with the Doctor Who thing, yeah. but it's really, it's really bad. I've, I've spent so much time treating that disorder and uh-huh. getting much, much better. But, right, it's the, the, the core of it, the gist of it, is not being able to tell where your body is in space right. as strongly as other people because you... Do not connect to yourself. So when I was nine, I was shooting a film in Chicago, and it was supposed to be a simple shot. It was supposed to be, I just ride down the driveway, and my mom sees me through the window. And I kept fucking falling to the point where they had to call in a stunt kid to do it. They had to pause shooting. They had to call up, like, a child talent agency and find a stunt kid and they called in this stunt kid to ride a bike down a driveway. That's how bad I was at it then. Yeah. It has not changed. <laughs> it has not changed. I still can't do that for the life of me. City bike is my Freddy Krueger. It will haunt me <laughs> always. That's not a sentence I ever thought I'd hear on this podcast. <laughs> but, you know, I'll take it. Um, what What are some projects that you, or things, types of things you'd like to work on that you haven't? Whether it's genre flicks or or other games, or is there any kind of project that you would love to pursue that you haven't been able to get your hands in yet? That's a really great question. I think it's the scope of the project more than the project itself. I've been really lucky to um, to have my hands in a lot of pies and, and to, to be able to look back at what my career has been so far and go mm-hmm. like, I've checked off a lot of boxes. I did a really wild, quick horror film when I was 20 
five. It's a short that no one's ever seen. <laughs> I would love to do one with a hundred thousand dollar budget. Sure. And and do it for two or three weeks and be in the thick of that. Um, I love the hangout podcast I have and the pop culture deep dive. I'm I'm sort of slowly preparing a podcast that's that but a little more serious. I want to change the tone and mm-hmm. and the scope of it to have it be a smidge more academic and oh, cool. and, and more of um a dive on it, it, the short version is it's going to be about what we call butt rock and uh. and the way we've chosen to um what's the word I'm looking for canonize it yeah. and hold it with in regards to new metal or indie rock and how our interpolation of that I think has actually done a great disservice to the country as a whole sure and to our ability to like talk about white fragility I, I like that's kind of the weird the, the thesis of it yeah and and so I'm really excited to try and do that I want to do these same things I've been doing but really go deeper in and and have the the depth of it and the size of it be more and more and more that's that's what excites me now that that makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah. that so the speaking about music I, yeah. I love that you all talk pretty openly about music. Also, like, I was sort of able to predict your tastes and <laughs> Rachel's tastes because I know her. But when when Patrick opened up to be, about being a diehard Robin fan, which I, too, am a diehard Robin yeah. fan. though, I, And it's funny because I didn't realize how much of her music I knew until I went back through her catalog. Right. And I was like, I know all of these songs. She was lit before we realized she was. Yeah. Like, like, I always forget that um, Cobra Style. Is a song of hers. Yeah. And that song sounds like 2020 still. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, she was always been ahead of her time and incredible. And the fact that she's now a cultural force, we're so lucky. Yeah. Because a lot of those artists stay buried. And she, thank God. And the new record is unbelievable. It's I started unreal. listening to it until as soon as you guys mentioned it on, on the Infinity Pod, I went and, and downloaded it. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. How did I miss this? Yeah. It's one of those, and I'm lucky. I'll always, I think it's both a testament to the record and where I was. I'll always remember where I was when I heard it first. Yeah. Both because the listening experience was unbelievable, but the location was. Those are my favorite listening sessions. Yes. When you hear something for the first time in like a particular place and you're like, I'll never forget that. I was in a, a health food diner in Kansas City because I was in Kansas City for like two days mm-hmm. doing a drama therapy conference and that album had just dropped and it's like seven in the morning. I'm like, I got nothing else to do. Let me right. have some coffee at this health food diner and listen to Robin. And oh my God. <laughs> like so sky awesome. opened up. It's unbelievable. So I'm guessing you have a long history with music considering yeah. how cavalierly you talk about it on the Infinity Pod at least. Absolutely. Um I hate asking the cliche questions of like, who's your favorite artist? What's your favorite album? Because they're impossible to narrow down. But what would you say was one of the most influential genres you listened to the most? You know, the first one that's occurring to me is punk. Mm -hmm. And I think of punk in a very broad word. I know that that definition of punk and the ethos of punk, separate things and the genre of it. But to me, punk is everything from... Flogging Molly to Operation Ivy to Sex Pistols to My Chemical Romance. To me, it all falls under that umbrella. And that was a place where I first found my voice. That was music that started speaking to my heart. Aggressive music always had an influence on me. My parents raised me on classical. Yeah. And I remember, you know, Mozart was cool, but Beethoven, who the fuck is that dude? <laughs> like, that was exciting. Give me that. But 
I think it was. I always tell people Silverchair really opened it Silver up for Chair me. Silverchair is a great band, yeah. Such a, the fact that they were my age, yeah, and that I was only a year or two younger than them, mm-hmm. and they get put under grunge. But to me, they're also punk as fuck. The, yeah. The 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 speed of it, the the heaviness of it, even though it's very much a post-Nirvana kind of thing. Like yeah. I think of a song like "Lie to Me." If you don't tell me that's on a grunge record, I'm like. That is something I want to hear in a dark club and mosh around to, <laughs> right? And 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 channels that same kind of like careening spirit that my favorite punk records have. But that was the genre, and um, those those two albums, Frog Stomp and Freak Show, really hit hard. I don't go back and listen to them now because they feel so much of that formative time in my life. Actually, yeah, I can relate to that. I feel that way about Alice in Chains, actually. Oh wow! Because yeah. like I love them, and I discovered them. I think I think Lane Steel was still alive when I first discovered them, but it was definitely in the early '90s. So like yeah. he was not long for this world by the time I discovered God. the band. But like I always loved their stuff, and and now I've gone back and I listen to it from time to time, and like I still I still love the music, but it just feels different because it's just it's part of my past. Absolutely. And I, I found that I listen to less heavy rock now than I used to. I think also because I'm a less aggressive person. As a teen, I was more aggressive. Yeah. Whereas now I tend to listen to more hip-hop and more uh, pop and, and, I guess, modern rock. Who are some of the people you're vibing with? I mean, this is always my favorite question because it changes week to week for me. It, like... it does for me, too. So I used to do a weekly music podcast with two co-hosts. I sent you yeah. the link for the Beirut album. It was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. It was awesome. Um, and so, like, I was way more up on stuff when I was listening to music, every, new music every week with them. And I've kind of fallen off. But, I mean, as far as new artists, like, there is an indie rapper named Lex the Lexicon Artist. She's a nerdcore rapper, and she's... She's she's a woman. She's Asian, and she's singing from a and rapping from a place that is just so awesome and authentic and unique. And she's spitting circles around artists who've been doing it for years. And even those artists say the same thing. And so I've been really vibing on her stuff. She has a song called Luther, where it's just her rapping as Lex Luther. Oh fuck, I gotta. And hear it's that. like this weird mix of. Metal and hip hop. I'll send you. I'll send you the track. So awesome. But so I'm really listening to that a lot. Um, I've been listening to, as I said earlier, the Teal album a ton because I'm trying to make sense of it. Yeah. Um, because I'm a longtime Weezer fan. Um, I am. I'm kind of a mix of Matt Damon and Leslie Jones. <laughs> like at the end of the day, uh, and if you don't get that reference, you should be watching more SNL. Um, <laughs> Like, I I was one of those people during Ratitude and Hurley going, oh, this is garbage, this sucks, they're terrible. But then, you know, uh, everything will be all right in the end came out. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Weezer again. Yeah. Um, And so I come and go with them. But, like, the newest record just has me confused because, like, to the point where I might do a five to ten minute rant on it for my Patreon (laughs) because I need to get the information out somewhere. But, like, I just, I don't know what to make of it and whether I like it or not. They've done this very weird thing over the course of their career because I can't stop thinking about the record either. And one thought that crossed my mind the other week, I host some trivia nights in Connecticut mm-hmm. and someone came in wearing an Alkaline Trio shirt. And that yes. kicked my nice. ass because yeah, yeah. I'm from Chicago and sure. so are they. And they were a very formative band for me. Sure, totally. And I thought their record last year, the name of which is escaping me right now. Mm-hmm. I know what the album, like I heard the yeah. album. It's, though, got, it's got the like, phone on it yeah, yeah, and yeah. the heart's carved in. I thought that was fucking great. Yeah. And I thought the weird thing that a lot of these punk bands from our youth are dealing with 
is they actually came of age in a time when it was okay for bands to get older. Yeah. Right? They were the first young artists who saw bands existing into their 50s and 60s and monetizing it and still making art. Yeah. You know, that was really, they were part of a very early form of Rock's family tree. Yeah. And so now they've come up with the idea that you can still do this when you're 40. You can do this into your 50s. Yeah. They're figuring out how to make punk pop albums about being older. Yeah. Which seems a hypocritical proposition, but it right. really isn't. And I feel like Weezer have actually documented their arrested development in real time for better and worse. Yeah. They've actually been a lot more messy about it than an Alkaline Trio, yeah. than a Blink-182 for all the ups and downs they've had. It's because they release albums so often, yeah. you're like, this might have been a down year for Rivers Cuomo as a person or as an artist. Right. And, and here he is trying to be super young with throwing Little Wayne on there. And yeah. maybe that's a great idea on paper and the execution is balls bad. <laughs> it's so bad. It is. But then you get uh, the back half of White Album where yeah. you get everything will be all right in the end. And you're like, man, you're suffering through this at the same speed that we are. And you have all the money in the world yeah. and all the fame in the world. And I wonder if that's the reason we keep getting compelled to them. Yeah. Because the awkwardness of them and their miss-to-hit ratio actually feels more like ours than the artists we really love and get to consistently love, who are more like the Steph Currys and Kevin Durant's of the world. Right. They're like batting... I've just said batting about two basketball players. I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm about to mix good. every sport in there that's humanly possible. <laughs> but I really, I wonder that hearing you hearing you mention it. Well, it, for me also, it's like I've watched other bands that I grew up with who are growing up as they write music burn out and fail, like Green Day. Like I, oh God, I was yeah. a diehard Green Day fan, and like through Nimrod, through American Idiot, through 21st Century Breakdown, yeah. I still love them. And then when they released Uno Do, Uno Dos and Trey. <laughs> It was a train wreck, and we reviewed all three albums on my podcast, and, like, the first one, we would have, you know, uh, some of us would pick, we would each pick an album, and sometimes we'd have all picks where, like, we all agree we want to do that album, yeah. and for them, it was the first time we had a no pick, where none of us wanted to do that third record, yeah. we had to, because we did the first two, Yeah. and my problem with Green Day is their progression was, what if... We still wrote music about being in high school or immature music, even though we're in our 30s and 40s. Yeah, you're totally and, right. And and that was my biggest problem. Like, I thought with American Idiot, they were going the way of the Rolling Stones. Like, they were going to make more mature music. They were going to lean more on rock and roll. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it, it just it didn't hold up. And I think it's interesting you brought up Blink-182, because I feel like they're a band that, at first, I liked less than Green Day, because I thought Green Day was doing it better. And now I think Blink is doing it better. I agree. I think they're aging better. Their last record, I didn't love it, but it felt like Blink, and I and I liked it. I didn't love it, though. Yeah, and the songs that are great off of it, it feels like it could be a transition record. My hope yes. for it is that, like, this is the one that gets them to their next great album. Right. Because the songs that work feel like Blink, but feel new. Yep. Those first two tracks, I can't remember the, the names of them, um, were unbelievable. I yeah. listened to those first two, I'm like, they fucking did it. Yeah. They grew up... The, the, they've got the skeleton imagery yep. in the car, you know, like they, this is an album about mortality. This yeah. is going to be huge. And then the entire middle stretch of that record happens. And I'm like, okay, 
Cool. Yeah, all right. Maybe cool. not. Maybe not. That's that's better luck next time. I mean, I was also one of the people, though, who with them specifically, like, I liked the self-titled record, and I liked Neighborhoods. I thought that both of those too. records were good. I thought, like, what was clear also is with Neighborhoods is, like, they're struggling. Like, Tom doesn't know what he wants. Mark doesn't know what he wants. Travis is still amazing because he's always amazing. And, yeah. like, they just struggled through that record, and I felt it and could relate to it. And that's why I was so hopeful when the record, the more recent record with... Um, oh, who is the new singer who replaced Tom? He's, he's the guy the from guy Alkaline, Alkaline Trio. Trio. Yeah. And like, so knowing Alkaline Trio and their stuff, I thought it would be a great mix. And what the record ended up being was, what if Blink and Alkaline Trio had a baby and some of the songs sound like one or the other and then some of the songs sound like none of it. And that's what that album was. Yeah. And that, and like, I'm glad. Because they could have very easily leaned into something that sounded more like Alkaline Trio or sounded like Old Blink. And instead they tried something different. Exactly. And so I agree. I think if they keep with it and they put out another record, it's going to be more cohesive and sound like a new Blink record. Absolutely. And, and you raise a really good point about them that I never thought, which is like, They've always had that undercurrent of sadness, yeah. and that stuck with them. And I, I secretly think my favorite pop punk acknowledges that, yes. or even even punk in general. Like the angst may be turned up, but the sadness doesn't straight go away. Yeah, like I don't hear many sad hardcore bands. You know, <laughs> like 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 I love hardcore, but I can't remember the last sad hardcore band I listened to. That's never there. But even songs like um, there's, there's stuff off of Dude Ranch. Yeah, it's really pretty sad actually when yeah. you, when you when you break it down. And I love that that's been pervasive for them because that was part of what made me feel included in the party. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. it, it wasn't just the misfit angle. It was like you guys have, have your hearts on your sleeves in a very soft way, not a very showy way. I'm all for emo. I love it. Yeah. And and sometimes when the spotlight's on it, I shrink a little bit. Yeah. As much as I love emo in, in all its forms. I do too. I, well, I'm someone who also emotionally connects to all of the media he consumes. The more yeah. you can pull me in, it's why me and Rachel both rage about like un- earned emotional moments in movies because mm. I feel hoodwinked because I like being emotional in movies yeah. but when it's just the score that's doing it or something else and it's not really an earned moment I feel kind of a little jaded about it totally. but it's the same thing with music like I still listen to My Chemical Romance I still love their, all of their records um, and, and I think it's because there's a genuine pull from that music that I can relate to yeah. and I think it's why I lean into podcasting and podcasts so much it's probably why I jumped on Infinity Pod so quickly is listening to the three of you talk on that yeah. show, it's you guys. Like, you're not playing characters of yourself, especially now having met you in person and speaking <laughs> to you online. Yeah. Like, you know, you may heighten or play it up a little bit because everybody does that when they're recording or doing doing any kind of performative thing. Yeah. But for the most part, you're yourselves. And, like, having had a conversation with with Patrick and having recorded with Rachel all the time, I can tell that you guys are yourselves and I feel like I'm involved in a personal conversation that I can't just directly reply to <laughs> in the moment. It's why I've always per pursued this show because I think candid conversations with people in the arts are more relatable than anything else. I completely agree. Because I will listen to interviews with people I have no idea who they are yeah. if the conversation is interesting. Absolutely. Like there's a podcast I listen to called Marvel's Voices and it's hosted by uh, Angelique Rocher and it's just, it's it's her sitting down with uh, uh, you know, a pencil artist, a actor, a writer, someone in the Marvel Universe yeah. and just spending 30 minutes being friends with them. And it's so relatable. That. It's really great. 
Um, she ju- and and then there's another uh, podcaster named the Blurred Girl who I'm a big fan of. She just did an episode, a phone interview with Orlando Jones, and it's one of my favorite interviews because a Orlando Jones doesn't give a fuck. He is who oh, he is. I love and, that and doesn't care. But like he was so insightful, so candid, and so kind. And I have to assume him and the Blurred Girl maybe had met before, but they didn't know yeah. each other that well. But it was so drilled down and conversational. Like I get interview shows that do Q&A and are very, you know, structured, like there are reasons for those shows too, but that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in making a personal connection. Absolutely. And I think it makes the conversation more interesting. Oh, 100%. And and when you when you start with that baseline, you not only have no idea where the conversation is going to go, which means you stay invested in it, right? Yeah. Like like you have to invest in something that you are on the ride of. Yes. I've never seen someone check out of a roller coaster. <laughs> you know, like like you're just on and you have to do it. But then also, I feel that it does invite the listener in in that sense. Yeah. Because when it's personal, we gravitate towards as opposed to away yeah. right you've earned our listenership you've earned our trust sometimes i get that can be hard to listen to because you're like i might need like the thing that's a numbing agent for right it to, or to vibe out totally. in a way but i would rather have the opportunity for that to be there than not that, yeah. that's always much more interesting to me so now being one of the premier marvel podcasts in the universe <laughs> i have to ask yeah are you looking forward to endgame now having seen infinity war we haven't seen Cap- as of this recording haven't seen captain marvel yet still a couple months away are you excited for endgame i'm i'm actually so excited okay. i'm so excited i this has come up a little bit on infinity pod um, but I'll talk about this to anybody that listens. Yeah. I really believe in this idea of can't miss entertainment yes. as opposed to best of. And to me, it's the things that we as a world are most likely to engage with. Mm-hmm. And that viscerally excites me. That would excite me if it wasn't a Marvel movie. Sure. Like watching the internet flip out about Serenity. And I don't <laughs> know the twist yet, but yeah. like I am going tomorrow yeah. because now suddenly there's a chance that that's a can't miss movie. Not right. only with my corner of the world, but like in general, it could be elevated. And I'm excited to have a movie like that and especially like Endgame create bonds with people that I yeah. don't know already yet. So just the fact that it's going to occupy that kind of slot yeah. and resolve this chord of heroes being gone. Yes. The fact that it made the culture at large deal with that. Yeah. We in the comic book world know no one stays dead. Right. And but there are people legitimately getting angry online. I have friends who still are only first seeing Infinity War now and then raging that they killed all these characters. Right. And that's so interesting and, to me. And what a cool thing for a mainstream property to do yeah. at a time that feels so hopeless like this. Yeah. Like this is the time when you would think we need to see them alive. Yeah. And they were like you're going to sit in this yeah. for a year. Yeah. You'll have the brief tonic of Ant-Man and the Wasp, but even then, <laughs> yeah. if you stayed through the end, spoilers, yeah. like, we're going to take that away from you. Yeah. And you're going to live in this. And I think that's an actual shockwave that has yeah. reverberated for a lot of us. And I think we're only going to see the full impact of what that storytelling choice was, like, four or five years down the road. Not just sure. for Marvel, but for kids yeah. who watch that movie and are going to make art inspired by that decision. Yeah. Like, I fucking love that. Yeah, it's crazy how what Marvel's gotten away with also. Like the idea yeah. that Infinity War as a movie exists 
it is not a movie you can see by itself. I mean, you can, yeah. but I don't think it would make sense to someone who's not familiar with comics if they see it in isolation. Oh no, not at all. And that's really fascinating to me. Like, or even like Spider, like Spider-Man: Homecoming as a Spider-Man movie can exist on its own. It, if you're yeah. familiar with the basics of Spider-Man, then it's fine. Same with Spider-Verse. Yeah, like. They give you all the tools you need to understand this thing within it. Absolutely. And then we have stuff like Infinity War and some of... Like, even most of the other Marvel movies, even like Winter Soldier or Thor Ragnarok. Civil War, for sure. You can understand those movies just seeing those movies. You might have some questions, but the basic premise you'll get. Yeah. Yeah, Cat watched Civil War just for Black Panther. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd said having seen Black Panther before, it's worth seeing Civil War. To, to get, get that, introduced to the character. To yeah. get that little bit of exposition. Yep. I think the father stuff resonates more fully if you've seen Civil War. I agree. Yeah. But she didn't know those characters. No, she was yeah. able to follow the film. It, yeah. It's totally possible. This you won't be able to get under if you haven't seen... And Endgame is the same thing. Yes. Endgame is going to exist in isolation that you have to have seen Infinity War... And probably have to have still seen everything else. Absolutely. And you may have have to seen Captain Marvel. Yeah. That that remains to be seen. You know, it's a it's it's a prequel, but I imagine the post credits is going to be something about her coming back to Earth or 100%. something. And, and while we pick these movies apart a lot, lovingly, on Infinity Pod, I have also felt that, like, to me, they exist in this separate category as pieces to critique, not only because we haven't literally seen the end game yet, but because it feels like a different cinematic experience to me yeah. like to me sometimes I go I don't know if these are movies which is actually something Patrick has said about yeah. Infinity War that it's actually much more like a TV episode a very yeah. long feature length TV episode than it is a film and in that sense I can't believe that we're going to see this whole chapter of pop culture and of a different kind of broad scale mainstream cinematic experiment come to some sort of close yeah and that thrills me to no end. And then, quite frankly, I really like what those writers do. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I'm going to get their names wrong. I know it's Chris and Steve, and I can't remember whose last name goes with who. It's like right. Chris Feely and something else, and Stephen yeah. Malcolmus. Yeah. He's from Pit, uh, Pavement, but I'm, yeah. that's always what I'm going to call him. But they once said that they thought Infinity War was like making an Altman film. Mm-hmm. And I remember Chris Ryan at The Ringer being like, this is that press junket bullshit that writers yeah. do where they compare their stuff. And I'll defend that to my dying day. I'm like, they give every character in that damn film their moment. Yes. And I think they're going to do that for more characters in Endgame. Yeah. And if they can actually pull that off as a writing exercise, yeah. like, I'm going to start stumping for the Oscar nomination <laughs> for that script. Because I'm like, that is, anyone who's ever written a screenplay knows how hard it is. To give that many characters their moment. Well, and we've seen examples of it not go well. I mean, yeah. you mentioned Wolverine Origins before, which is oh my god regarded as an awful movie. And I am a Wolverine lover. I've always been. I did an episode on another podcast called Another Pass, where we, me and you and the host in this in this case, Case Aiken, who's the host of the show, take another pass at a movie script, and yes. we did the Wolverine because I needed more people to know that a average Wolverine movie exists. Yeah. 
in this world where Origins was so awful. Yeah. But, like, there's so many ensemble movies where they just don't get it right. I mean, X-Men First Class was great, and then X-Men Days of Future Past was okay. Right. Like, and then, you know, and then Dark Phoenix is probably going to be terrible. It's going to be so bad. <laughs> and, like, but the problem is, like, the reason the early X-Men movies worked is because they focused on Hugh Jackman and Wolverine and told the story more or less through his eyes. Yes. Which puts you in his seat, which is why I think Origins failed so much. Because yeah. it tried to pull wider view yeah it, it was the same thing that happened with those dark universe films that universal was doing yes. it, they're so busy world building that they forget to be movies with characters yeah. with a with a beating heart it's why the dc movies fell right and, but yet why i inexplicably loved aquaman because because i knew everything about every damn character in that film yeah they spent so much time with all of the characters yeah and they've decided what's interesting is i i still haven't seen aquaman but i was having a large conversation with Patrick and Rachel after we recorded this last episode and they were both hitting highlights for me and now hearing us talk about it I'm like if you lean into the world building yeah. the least you can do is make the world building so extreme yeah. that it's the attraction not from a financial standpoint but from a you must see this way right like yeah. in Origins Wolverine we're meant to be excited that the blob shows up and that we've got Sabretooth and you know, the, the, oh my god, we're going to see Deadpool now. And that's the draw. Here it's like, that would be in the first five minutes of Aquaman. Yeah. And you're getting the Julie Andrews Kraken. Yeah. And you're getting sharks that shoot lasers. And here's water that fuels a gun. <laughs> and, and it just never stops. Yeah. It's, it never stops. And I, I understand that tack as a movie. Yeah. You know, where it's like, it's almost like the content being packed to the brim and being so realized is your reason to get inundated for two and a half hours. And yeah. my favorite, one of my all-time favorite movies is House, this Japanese horror film from the 70s. It's not that different. And, right. and that's a Criterion collection film. So if it's right. good enough for the Criterion in that, it's good enough for Aquaman. Look, we, we all know like, the Criterion connect, collect, collection has Michael Bay movies in it. Two so movies. Two movies, as Patrick has taught the world. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think what's really fascinating about movies now is that there are less people saying you can't do that. With people like uh, Jordan um, uh, Jordan Peele yeah. and like Get Out and then what's the name of the new one that's Us. coming out? Us. Holy like, shit. Like those kinds of movies like I'm sure there were people in the studio saying you can't do these movies. You yeah. can't make them and he's like I'm going to and they've been huge successes. A movie like Black Panther something we probably should have had decades ago yeah. we finally got and it was brilliant and everybody loved it. Yeah. There's so many different versions of the bottom line now yeah. that Netflix, Amazon even something like Shudder is breaking apart. I was hearing you talk, I was thinking I just watched Cold Hell, mm -hmm. which is a Shudder exclusive, and I'm a horror junkie, and I completely missed that film, because, God, what a great year for horror. And so I saw it pop on, up on a bunch of lists, I'm like, I got Shudder, let me watch it on my commute back to Connecticut. And, fuck, this... this <laughs> This movie, it makes no sense from a from a pitch standpoint. It's like, yeah. okay, so this is going to feel like a rain-soaked noir, and it's going to be about a woman who is a mess and uh, does Thai boxing classes, and she sees someone get murdered, and that's going to be a giallo while we do that. But uh, hold the phone. It's also going to be an action film like Taken every <laughs> once in a while. Also, it's about toxic masculinity. Like, that's the kind of movie that no one would have greenlit or given yeah. the amount of money that it clearly had in its budget for this insane car chase through the, the the streets of Germany. But I'm like, they know that they're going to get it on something like Shudder. Yeah. They know that that's going to eventually yield enough revenue. Like, yeah. you can say, okay, it's not as much of a risk. 
these days. And I think for genre film in particular, that's true. As yeah. opposed to like small narrative films. A Music Supervised, uh, a movie I'm very proud of that comes out this year with Finn Whitrock, who's a buddy of mine from school, and Josh Peck, and a bunch of other people. And it's taken a bunch of years for it to find its feet and get distribution, I think in part because there's no genre hook, right? right? It doesn't actually subscribe to horror or superhero or stuff that used to have trouble getting right. greenlit because you knew it would find its audience on a Netflix or Amazon. It's going to find its audience because it's a solid film, but... Those are weirdly the movies that are having trouble now. And yeah. That's it, wild. It's really interesting. Also, the barrier to entry is so low. Yeah. Like, I have four podcasts. I'd probably have more if, you know, I wasn't burdened by life. <laughs> yeah, um, if you didn't need to have a job where right. you made more money. Like, me but, too. Like, but, but, you know, the barrier to entry is to make a decent product that you can then shop around is so low for everybody. And so, like, I appreciate... I mean, I know it also means that we can have horrible, horrible stuff. Like, oh my God, yeah. I, I've said on many occasions that art has never been better and worse at the same time <laughs> yeah. because of the accessibility. But it's also... You can discover stuff that you never thought was a thing. Yeah. You know... Like for me, my my biggest musical passion lately is nerdcore hip hop. Totally, I just I love it. I love that. I love that. Also, born out of that, like there's a rapper Samus who I follow. Samus is so good. She is born out of nerd references, and then writes a, a song like 1080p that's all about therapy and and loss and learning. Yeah, but she's still considered a nerd rapper. And she said I was at a panel that she did at Magfest. People told her, you'd be so much bigger if you dropped this nerd stuff. And she was like, fuck you. No. Why yeah. would I drop that? That's This is me. Yeah. And she's going to find this audience by not dropping it. The people who need that music in their life. And that's what, like, that kind of stuff being out there, we would have never seen that kind of music so easily accessible 10 years ago because of stuff like Spotify and Bandcamp and other ways that indie artists can just get their music out. Totally. And, and I'm a big believer that SoundCloud rap is one of the best things to happen to music in the last few years. Not even because I love it. I have very mixed feelings about a bunch of SoundCloud rappers. Right. But like the internet has taken charge in terms of saying yeah. this artist gets to blow up. And this artist doesn't. And it can all start from that simple page. Yeah. And we're watching a guy like I mean, this year, Baby, right? This dude from Charlotte. <laughs> Have you seen his yeah, stuff yet? Yeah. I, I mean, the songs are, there. I mean, they bang. They slap. Yeah. They're great. But those videos are absolute mind melders to me. Mind melters. I can't. Uh, Walker, Texas Ranger is one of my favorite movies I've seen all year. Yeah. And that we have that. And that it's getting two million views. Yeah, that's great. It's gonna shape humor coming back into rap into a different way. Yeah, that's so cool. She can open up nerdcore for a bunch of people as well as discussions about mental health, like you're saying. Yeah. Like that used to get shut down, and now the internet is saying no, we want it. Yeah, and then people will throw money at it. And, and what I love is now they will take the money and they'll kind of do what Len did in the Steal My Sunshine video, <laughs> oh, yes. which is they just won't spend it. They'll be, yeah. they'll be like, my aesthetic wasn't based on cash. Yeah. And so she can afford her tour. And, and yeah. That's, that's I so always, cool. like, so you mentioned Len Steal My Sunshine. Yeah. It's still a song that I love to death, unironically. But the fact that they're still around and that, that 
they because of how they were smart about how that blew up and how they took care of themselves like yeah. they didn't just burn out even though most of the world we consider them one hit wonders they're not yeah like, they've existed beyond that absolutely and it's because of how they leaned into how that blew up oh absolutely and and so many of those bands it turns out were very smart about that i'm, yeah. a, I'm a big stereo gum junkie yeah and they have their catching up with yes yeah i had no idea about what's his face from semisonic dan yeah who has gone on to write songs for everybody everybody he's literally one of the busiest songwriters in the industry yeah it's unbelievable yeah well it's like it's not until after she passed how i found out that carrie fisher was like the script doctor. Unbelievable. Like everything. She touched everything. Unbelievable. And and that's, you know, we know that now because of internet culture. But back then, there was no way, like unless you were reading those scripts, you wouldn't know. How would you know? You would never know. And, yeah. and of course, Hollywood probably buried it because she was a woman too. Right. So it's yes. like they weren't advertising that. Yes. But like, God, it's amazing. I, I remember that tweet that came out of the, um, the fixture she made to the pages from Empire Strikes Back. Uh-huh. I was like, you were a genius. Yeah. These are amazing fixes. Script Doctor is secretly something I want to be. Sure. And I, I saw that and was like, oh my God, I have another reason to just bow down to what you do. <laughs> to what you do. There's a reason my, my Twitter thing is still her with the David Bowie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, that, she's, that's a good one. She's fucking amazing. I, I'm always curious to ask, based on your Twitter name, OG Scotty C, <laughs> it reminds me, so did you ever watch wrestling in the 90s and 2000s? Yeah, very, very do much. Do you remember Too Cool? Yes, I do. With, with, uh, with uh, Scotty Too Hottie? Yes. Like, that's your screen name, your Twitter handle reminds me of Scotty Too Hottie all the time. That's actually how it came up. Really? It really is how it came up. I was uh, I went to Juilliard, and our final project was a version of these three Greek plays. But we work with this dude named Brian Murdies, who, if you can see this movie, I Am a Seagull that came out. Okay. Someone has actually finally filmed what Brian's been doing for years, which is he's been bringing artists up to Lake Lucille. Mm -hmm. He has a huge house up there. And in about a few days' time, sometimes it's a week, it's a little less than that, they mount a immersive production of Seagull or uh, Uncle Vanya. There's music, there's food. It's usually five hours long. He's had celebrities do it. He's had people who are straight out of acting school. Brian takes these plays and blows them up into worlds you could never imagine that makes so much emotional sense. Mm -hmm. So we were doing, oh, the first one was uh, Hecuba in a Hurricane Katrina-like shelter because Katrina had happened fairly recently. Mm -hmm. So we were on all these beds and we were talking about like the way these characters would have to self-mythologize themselves in the circumstances. And my classmate and friend Dion Muchachito was talking about wrestlers. And he was like, like Scotty too hottie. You the OG, Scotty T. OG Scotty T. And it stuck. And the whole time we were doing these 12 hour rehearsals, because Brian would let us shout whatever we wanted, yeah. everyone in my class just started being like, OG Scotty T. And it I think I think like I, I had to, it came time to pick one handle. It wasn't even Twitter first. I think yeah. it was like my gaming tag. Yeah. And it just made sense. And it's stuck ever since. That's really funny. But wrestling in the day, man. That was my everything. Oh, I loved it. I, I, I've gotten back into it because I DJ every year so far. Um, Rabbit Hole Productions does Tasselmania, which is a wrestling themed burlesque what? show. What? And uh, this coming year, it's in April. It's the second Friday, second Saturday in April, I believe. I have to double check the date, but um, it's it's produced by Bunny Buxom, and it's 
burlesque performers compete in the ring against each other to a single song. What? And then the crowd votes live by applause, and then they move on to the next round. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> except in the in the most recent one we did, there may have been some scripted stuff. That sure. And and like it's just it's brilliant. I love doing it. I've DJed it the last two times we've done it. We're doing the third one this year, and. Um, yeah, it's just it's stupid and fun. And if you're an old school wrestling fan, it's for you. I'll have to I'll send you the info oh, once there's do. dates. Um, but yeah, and it's literally like the burlesque performers get to know all of the songs I think that are being used, but they don't get to know the song they're performing to. Yeah, and it's all like it, it standards or pop tracks or really well known songs. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's just it's it's brilliant, and everyone has characters like the current. Oh, and the title is the Intercontinental Championship. Oh, perfect. That's the, such a great idea. It is. It, 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 the similarities between burlesque and wrestling I never saw until like this was presented to me. And they're both art forms that don't get enough credit for what they can hold yeah. emotionally. Yeah. Like the stakes of, of either the scripted sequences or the things that can be surprisingly moving. Like I rewatched so on on the WWE's YouTube channel they did a, a, a half hour behind the scenes special on the anniversary of the first Hell in the Cell match. Yeah. Um, with uh, Mankind and The Undertaker. No, that was the second Hell in the Cell match. I think the first one was Shawn Michaels. Yeah, it was Shawn Michaels. Um, and so, like, and had interviews with The Undertaker and Mankind and, or McFoley and a bunch of the officials and, like, just talking about how terrifying that match was and yeah. how they had to stay in character, you know, and, like, when Mick is pushing his tooth through his lip because he's not sure what's going on. Like, yeah. just all of that stuff was so real. And then people were like, oh, yeah, but wrestling's fake. So, yes, it's scripted. Scripted and fake are not the same thing. Yeah. And things like that. And so, like, I grew up, like, or I remember where I was watching the pay-per-view where Hulk Hogan came back to the WWE yeah. and fought The Rock. And the crowd sided with Hulk Hogan, even though he was the heel. And they did a heel shift. In the match, like they made the decision for Hulk Hogan to become a face in that match. Like, yeah, just brilliant things like that. I will never forget, and it's why I still have a soft spot for wrestling, even though I don't watch the current regime. And it's sort of hearing you talk makes me wonder if one reason we've gotten so good at serialized storytelling is because a lot of people who are creating it now actually grew up watching that. Mm. It's so easy to take yeah. for granted how long they stretch those stories for. That's like I true. think we critically were like, oh, they're just trying to fill time to this match. Yeah. But we genuinely were excited for that match to happen. And yeah. that was in the interviews. Yeah. In the ways the characters would interrupt the matches with the supposed scrubs. Yeah. Like the amount of tension they would build over months yeah. is kind of masterful. Yeah. When you absolutely. stop and and they were operating on so much more shoestring budgets and I think too sometimes of um of wrestling and football being similar just because of the, of the violence, but then also because of the HD camera effect, yeah. which is to say that I respect wrestling more now that the high definition has increased because I see just how much it costs them now. Yeah. And I'm like, it felt faker back in the day when you couldn't see it as clearly. Yeah. And now you're like, even if that punch isn't landing, this is costing their bodies. Yeah. And, and how when you watch football now, you're like, I don't want to see those hits. Oh, no, yeah. Because... Yes, clearly they've all been getting concussions for the last three <laughs> decades. Look at it. Yeah. It's so obvious now. But it makes me appreciate wrestling more because I, I can see how much it's costing them. Yeah, totally. And, and the art form of, of when they hold and when they don't take a hit 
It's a dance. It's gorgeous. I just, I, I want to pat myself on the back for realizing something about your handle that actually was in fact true. It and totally I, is. I appreciate that. <laughs> I've um, never had anyone even point if you it out. Even if you, even if you lied to save my feelings, I'll take it. Oh no, it, 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 I'd actually forgotten. It's so, it, it's total kismet because I'm seeing Finn after this, oh, and, nice. and that's only because he happened to be in the city, and we both shot the same sketch show recently. Oh, cool. So, so like, it's been a, it's been a day for all that. But it's in the forefront of my brain because those memories were kind of coming back to me as sure. I'm riding into town. And I'm like, right, it was Dion who did that during the Greeks. And I'd completely forgotten that. That's really And funny. that's exactly where it comes from. So before we wrap up, are yeah. there any projects that are coming up that you want to plug before we get to the official plugs of the Infinity Pod, which we've mentioned a thousand times at this point? Totally. But, but is there anything you want to direct people towards to check out that you've done recently or that you're doing? Well, I, I always like plugging the um, the improv theater group that I'm a part of. And I think improv is, is marginalizing it. It's called Ten Bones Theater Company and it's the Entirely from memory series. And mm -hmm. what we do is we take a property like The Goonies, which we're doing on Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. We all watch it once. But then when we get to the venue mm -hmm. and the show starts, we don't know who we're playing. We are given lines by the audience we have to use. And there are sound effects that are going to be played. And we are going to try with as much dignity and truth as possible to do The Goonies perfectly from memory. And in inevitably, it goes off the rails and, and, and starts failing spectacularly. But I think the the group, particularly with some of its newer members, has gotten good at holding the core of a story so that something like we did a Christmas carol uh, in December and Tiny Tim died. And while we were doing the first scenes, a line got pulled about Despacito. So Tiny Tim was just like, I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs. And fucking... I can't remember who was in the sound booth that night, but we got to the funeral and they started playing Despacito. <laughs> and we all like broke it down to Despacito while crying at his funeral. Amazing. And that's, those are some of my favorite theatrical moments I've that's, ever been a part of. So That sounds like a blast. Got a bunch of those coming up. We're starting at Little Field now. Little oh, Field's awesome. giving us a run. Little Field's great. Yeah. I been, love that space. So the pit in, in Manhattan and Little Field in Brooklyn, oh, depending nice. on where you I are. I love the pit also. I've been there a bunch too. Yeah. Yeah. It's two, a great my, space. two of my favorite spaces to play in, man. They're great. Yeah. Like, so that and um, I guess this show, Alternatino, it hasn't gotten much announcement yet, but it's Arturo Castro mm -hmm. from Broad City. And he had had the show as a YouTube show, but Comedy Central has given him a ton of money to do his own kind of Key and Peele-esque spin on oh, being cool. a Latin American man in this country, awesome. which is amazing. That's fantastic. But I also know from the sketch that we shot that it gets deeply silly and <laughs> weird yeah. and that it's not all just sharp political stuff. Right. And uh, having seen what Finn did in his episode and having done mine, I'm very excited for people to see the show and just to keep an eye out for it because I, I would love nothing more than for it to take off and be great for the culture but also like i think it's employed like 300 new york comedy That's actors amazing right it's such That's a great. good thing for new york actors so i just really wanted to get the viewership it deserves and sure. to come back because like we should all be on that show because he's gonna need <laughs> all the actors um so it's super cool it's super awesome. cool yeah and then your two the two podcasts that you do yes so on the rails which will hopefully be coming back very very soon <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping to launch in mid-february i've already done one with the Infinity Pod crew and nice. friend of the program, uh, Kendra Pettis, who has written for Shondaland, cool. is a big viral person on Twitter. And then the Infinity Pod, which is just the, my favorite thing to do every single week. It's on every platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you go. And we've definitely got plans for it moving forward in the next few months that we are very stoked for. I think we just agreed we're going to do our first Twitch live stream. We I came heard, up with the episode yes. that we were serious about that. I, I, if I could be a fly on the wall, I'd be happy to. Please, but, please do. But otherwise, I will definitely Dude, tune in if I'm not in the room. We're going to have to find a time to get you on the podcast. I man. would we're, love that. We're, we're starting to talk right. about how we have guests on. I would and, love it. In and, person, over the phone, however you guys can fit me. I'll jump through time and space. Yeah, Matt. Oh, that would be very Marvel fitting. It I would mean, be very yeah, Marvel. It's probably yeah. going to be just snap my fingers. Yeah, just... Um, <laughs> Um, awesome. And yes, of course, you're the you're Infinity Pod 1 yes. on, Twitter on Twitter because you're the number one Infinity Pod. Number one, Infinity baby. <laughs> um, I'll say it here. Guy who has Infinity Pod on Twitter, give it up. Dude, give it up. If, you've, it been, if, if you've been listening to Crash Chords, Autographs, and not us, it means you have good taste. But now we've <laughs> finally reached you. And just give us yeah, the handle. Give them the handle. Give them you the don't handle. use it. You haven't tweeted. No, you haven't tweeted, man. Come on. I will run your Twitter for you. I've there done you social media stuff. I'll get you 100 followers. <laughs> It'll be great. And then you're OG Scotty T uh, on, on Twitter, Twitter. And then actually that on Instagram, too. Um, There'll be all the updates on Alternatino or Ten Bones or the movie Skin that I did. They're all there and floating awesome. through the ether. And um, Scott, thank you for being on the Dude, show. It's thank you pleasure. for having me, man. It's great. Um, I love, I love, love, love what you guys do on Infinity Pod. I'm genuinely a fan as much as a f- I am a friend. And I'm not just saying that because I want to be on the show. No, but 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 likewise of, of all the work you're doing, and, and I only know Crash Chords this and Screen Snark at this point, so I have miles to go deep dive in your work. But well, it's just been you. such a privilege to get to know you, and now we get to start hanging out, which is great. I would great. love that. It's yeah, that'd happen. be great. Yeah. We'll have to watch Venom together. Either, oh, yes. either the Snake movie or the Symbiote movie. <laughs> I'm doing... If you're not caught up on Infinity Pod, you'll know what I mean. Yeah, I'm, do- I'm doing my first watch of the Symbiote Venom tomorrow. Excellent. I'm, I'm, it's going on. One of us. It's going to be on the IG. It's going to be the best IG story we've ever done. Excellent. I cannot wait. Um, so my last thing is I will ask you to do my sign-off, which is yes. Music is Life and Life is Good. Uh, this idea that if you're creating art, life can't be that bad as yes. long as you're making art so please sign us off one more time so I get it perfectly right sure it's music is life and life is good I love that music is life and life is good that's it for this episode of Crash Chords Autographs our theme music is by Michael Kill our logo was designed by Case Aiken and Joey Amans. if you like the show please rate and review us on iTunes and Facebook you'll help us reach more listeners Questions, comments, or guest recommendations? Email matt.storm at crashchords.com or hit us up on Twitter at Crash Chords Web. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Victor Devon, and I am the host of We Burlesque, the podcast. Every Monday, I talk to fabulous denizens of nightlife, including burlesque performers, both seasoned and new to the form, drag performers, performance artists, DJs, and artists who make up their respective scenes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please visit weberless.com to check out episode recaps and see all the formats available. And remember that music is life. Life is good. <laughs>